It is no difficulty for us to give up time to come to White Park Bay. One of our favourite places in all the world is White Park Bay. And uh, I retired in October. Our congregation has been coming here for over 10 years. And the elders um, presented me with a photograph taken from just down there of the old original youth hostel looking along towards Ballantoy on a lovely day like this. God had expanded. It's hanging in our kitchen. When I feel depressed, I just look at the picture. <laughs> I don't often get depressed, but I look at the picture. And I uh, really enjoy it. So it brings back happy memories. We're really, really pleased to be here. Thank you very, very much for having us. It's a great privilege to not only be in a beautiful place, but to be with folks from Carrick, Fergus. Um, it's very much appreciated by us both. So we're going to begin today um, by... Looking, taking our first talk and we're going to sing together in worship uh, from Psalm 107 uh, stanzas 1 to 6 and the tune is Newington 123 Psalm 107 uh, stanzas 1 to 6 <clears throat> one of the great missionary psalms Uh, The psalm book is a mission book, and this is one of those great missionary psalms that expands our vision uh, to all the corners of the world. God's kingdom extends to every nation and every part of his world, and he brings people to himself from everywhere. We're going to see a little bit about that this morning. Um, So Psalm 107, uh, stanzas 1 to 6. When Harry asked me to come and speak uh, some time ago now, uh, I wrestled, I must say, for some time to think about uh, the things in which to speak. Uh, and it wasn't really easy coming to a decision, but uh, I did eventually uh, come to a decision about what to speak about. Um, and actually, it, it came to me um, as I lay in bed. Uh, sometimes I have great thoughts when I, I wake up and I'm lying in bed and I, I sometimes think I, I should actually keep a notebook and a pencil beside my bed or a little tape recorder or something and, and record these thoughts. They always seem wonderful to me. Uh, and then in the morning, uh, you know, they're pretty ordinary really, but, <laughs> but at the time they seem marvelous. Anyway, um, uh, as I lay in bed, I thought about the things to speak about uh, and I thought just some very simple things. So I was wanting with you to look at three talks regarding and revolving around the congregation. First of all, the congregation and its minister, and then the congregation and its unity, and then the congregation in its community. So that's what we hope to look at today and tomorrow. So this morning, the congregation and its minister. Let's read, first of all, from the book of Acts, chapter 10. Uh, And not the whole of this chapter, though in a way we'll be looking at the whole of the chapter, but I'm going to read just the first six verses, and then from 23 to 43. This is page 1103. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now verse 23, it's really the middle of verse 23. The next day, Peter, he's also received a vision telling him to go with these men who will knock at his door. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, 
in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Just end there. Last Lord's Day, I, um, for the first time, was in the, the new congregation of Letter Kenny, the new work of Letter Kenny. I really enjoyed being there. And one of the things that struck me as I um, got to know the people a little bit was that um, many of them had come there because somebody had invited them. There was a man who was invited to come by his friend. Uh, the man came. He was subsequently converted. Uh, he invited his brother. Brother came. He invited his sister. Sister came. She invited another sister. Sister came. And people invited friends and relatives to come to church. That's a really good thing to do. That's what Cornelius did. Cornelius here invites friends and relatives to come to church. Come and meet with me and we'll hear God's message. There was, of course, a problem because at this point, when he invited them all to come, there wasn't anyone to preach. So we had a congregation gathered but no preacher. Um, since I retired in October, there have been different men coming to preach in Newton Nards over the weeks. Uh, and our service begins at 11 o'clock. Most other congregations begin at half 11. And once or twice, two or three times, our elders have been in panic mode because it's been getting very near 11 o'clock and no preacher has appeared. And there's been a lot of nervous shuffling of feet and clearing of throats and looking around at each other and saying, so anybody got a sermon in his pocket? Uh, but eventually the man has come. Cornelius had no doubts at all. He was absolutely convinced that the preacher would arrive exactly when they expected him because God had given him that vision and Cornelius believed God's promise. He's a good example for us, actually, in living by faith. And I think there's a, a wonderful thing here in that the, the preacher detailed and every detail was ordered in his sovereign purpose. I think that encourages us as individuals and as congregations, that he is working out his good purpose and the timing he has is impeccable. Maybe you're thinking about something at the moment, you're, you're looking for guidance at the moment, you're concerned about something. Just as we begin to look here this morning, that's a great encouragement, both for the individual and the congregation. So anyway, here's this congregation and this preacher prepared for each other and brought together. And we want this morning to look at the congregation and its minister. 
So let's consider, first of all, the preacher's question. Um, I used to be in the Boy Scouts. Now I just called the Scouts. Uh, and I heard a story about a Boy Scout because one of the, one of the rules or one of the, the laws that the Boy Scouts always try to um, carry out is to do a good deed to someone every day. We learned a whole lot of laws, and that was one of them. Do a good deed to someone every day. I, I heard about this Boy Scout who was walking through town on a very busy street, and he saw an elderly lady standing at the, at the footpath, looking across the road. So he went up to her, and, and he very gently took her by the arm, and he held on to her, and he waited until there was a break in, in the traffic, and he then led her carefully and carefully across the road to the other side. And he said, I'm a Boy Scout. And I have to do a good deed to everyone every day and I'm really pleased to do this good deed and help you across the road. And she said, thank you very much. Actually, I didn't want to cross the road. (laughs) I was standing waiting for the bus. (laughs) So, it wasn't really a good deed um, because he didn't ask the lady, do you want to cross the road? Peter did not make that mistake. He came to this congregation, he might have assumed that he knew exactly what they wanted, but he didn't assume that. He said, can I ask why you sent for me? What is it you're expecting me to do? Certainly the guidance was extremely clear. The preacher and the congregation have come together in God's purpose. There was no question whatever in anybody's mind that this was the right place and the right time and these were the right people. And yet, Peter asks the question, before he began to speak, may I ask why you sent for me? It's a very, very interesting word. It's a strong word. It's like a summons. Or we would say a call. Why have you called me to be your minister. He doesn't assume that that's obvious to everyone. He wants to focus the minds of the congregation so that they'll be able to give an answer which is realistic and true. Here's why we want you to be our minister. Here's why we want you to be our pastor. There's never been a congregation like this before. Never. This is the first congregation made up of people called Gentiles. It's a new work, an entirely new work. And I think, although Carrick Fergus has been going for some years now, in a way we still think of it, and rightly so, as a new work. And the minister says, Why have you asked me to come? How do you want me to serve you here? What are the people expecting? That may sound very, very obvious. But it's really not quite so obvious as we might think. And in fact, around the churches today, there are lots of churches which would have great difficulty answering that question. Some of them would say, well... We need somebody who's really, really good with young people. We want somebody to concentrate on young people. 
or we need somebody who's a really good organizer because very soon we're going to have to put an extension on our building. We need somebody who can talk to builders and architects and government departments. Or some would say, we need somebody who's going to do the evangelism because actually we don't really have time. And so we want, we want someone who can do the, all the evangelism. It's a strange thing that's happened in recent years. It used to be very um, much the case that the minister lived in the manse. Um, and that's still the case for many of us. But the, the manse doesn't belong to the minister. It belongs to the church. And there's a room in it which is called his study. It always has been called his study. But a funny thing has happened in recent years that some churches, instead of having a manse with a study in it, have a room down in the church building itself, and that's the minister's. But it's not called the study. It's called the office. Because they've actually, somewhere along the line, lost the answer to this question. Why have you sent for me? And they said, here's your office, because you're the manager. But he's not the manager. Why have you sent for me? What is it you're expecting me to do? What way do you want me to serve? So it's a really, really important and contemporary question. And your minister may not ask you that every week, but it's in there, and we have got to think how we would answer. And in asking this question, I think it's interesting because Peter, in a way, is following the example of Jesus. One time a blind man was begging by the roadside, Bartimaeus, He heard that Jesus was going along the road. He called out at the top of his voice, this is his opportunity, this is his one opportunity to receive his sight. And Jesus heard Bartimaeus. And he stopped. And Bartimaeus must surely be thinking, this is it, this is the moment I'll get my sight back. It's so obvious, isn't it? I'll get my sight back. But the first thing our Lord does is ask him a question. Bartimaeus, what is it you want me to do for you? Why have you stopped me and asked me to stop? What is it you want me to do? And people standing round about may have thought, well, Bartimaeus, is it not the most obvious thing that Bartimaeus wants his sight? But Jesus never asks an unnecessary question. Why does he ask that to Bartimaeus? Because he wants to encourage Bartimaeus in his faith. He wants to encourage him in his expectancy. He wants to make him ready for the blessing that he is about to bestow. He wants to give him hope. He wants him to anticipate the great blessing that's coming And to be ready to acknowledge God's goodness. He's bringing Bartimaeus to concentrate entirely on himself and what he is able to do. And Peter says, why did you ask me to come? What's your expectation from your preacher and your minister? How can I serve you? That's the preacher's question. Standing in his congregation. How can I serve you? Why have you asked me to come? That leads us secondly then to the congregation's answer. 
Cornelius is the spokesman and he answers really on behalf of everyone else. He's got a very, very good attitude. A very humble and grateful attitude. I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. He appreciates having a preacher. They appreciate having someone who's come along to proclaim to them God's word. And that's a good thing. Because Paul says that pastors are Christ's gift to the church. Cornelius recognizes that. He's humble and he's grateful. But he goes on to say, and this is the, 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 the centre of his answer. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's the congregation's answer. There are two or three things in it you can see that show us what a congregation is to be like meeting every Lord's Day. He says we know as we meet here, that we are in the presence of God. We know that, not because we're in some awe-inspiring cathedral, not because there's majestic music coming at us from every side. They're actually in Cornelius' front room. It's very, very ordinary. But he says we know. We're in the presence of God. So you can be in the community centre down in Carrickfergus or in a room in White Park Bay hostel but you can say the same thing Cornelius is speaking in his front room and he says but we know we've all gathered here in the presence of God to be aware that he who is with us is the one full of majesty and of power and authority and greatness this is a congregation you see who are really really serious about being together and meeting together. We are all in the presence of God. They're serious. He is watching how we receive his word, how we respond to his word. We don't want to let our minds wander. We don't want to allow ourselves to become sleepy. We don't want to doze off. We don't want to become bored or indifferent. We are all met in the presence of God. And so it's really important how we respond to his word. We don't want to go away forgetting what we've heard. When we come on the Lord's Day, we come with an awareness that we're meeting in God's presence. There's a reverence here in this little company of people in Caesarea meeting in Cornelius' front room. There's a great reverence. And we're to cultivate that every time we meet for worship together. Every day of our lives we're to live in the spirit that Cornelius expresses here. We're met in God's presence. There's serious about meeting with God. But they're serious about listening to God. 
We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. What a brilliant congregation that is. We are ready to listen to everything that God has given you to tell us. It may be a rebuke that will really touch our hearts and reach the very depths of our consciences and make us feel uneasy and convict us of our sin, but we are ready to hear it. It may be a word that will humble us and show us our smallness, but we are ready to hear that. It may be a truth which we are being called to believe, which most people in the world dismiss as foolish, but we are ready to hear that and believe it. There will be commands that you will have to tell us that will be costly to obey, but we want to hear them. There are precious promises that will be given to you for us. And we are wanting to hear them. And in all of you tell us, in everything you say, we expect to learn more and more of Jesus. Did ever ever a preacher of the gospel have a more promising congregation? I remember hearing about um, Professor Lockridge told us this story from the theological college. It was about a congregation, I'm not going to name it, but it was a congregation of the RP Church which met on Sabbath afternoon. It's a really, really difficult time to meet. Uh, Spurgeon used to say it's the time of roast beef and unbelief. You're full of roast beef and you're full of unbelief. Um, you're so sleepy and so on well this, this congregation, this particular Sabbath day were really full of roast beef and it was a lovely sunny day it was, oh, the atmosphere was sleepy and they were sleepy and the minister was a, was a really good man but he got up to start to preach and he's a very bold and direct man but as he got up to preach he noticed everybody sitting and the heads were going down and, and the eyes were closing and nobody was really paying attention so he opened the opening psalm, opening prayer, began to read, then he just, he just stopped. Service had been going about ten minutes, and he said, I'm just going to pronounce the benediction and everybody can go home. Because nobody's paying attention. Pronounced the benediction, sent them all home. So everybody got up, left the building, outside, we got, there weren't many cars in those days, they were walking, began to walk down the road, and they walked past the Presbyterian church, which had big windows and the people could see the Covenanters are all walking home. Very short service today, only 15 minutes. What's going on? So um, during the week, neighbours asked each other, so how come you got out of church so early? And they're all embarrassed to say, well, the minister was rebuking us because we're all falling asleep. So Professor Rockledge was there the next week and he told us he has never, ever, he'd never, ever had such an attentive congregation in his life. <laughs> They were all sitting up, eyes were wide open, and nobody was moving or staring at him the whole time. He had rapt attention for the whole time. <laughs> well, what a promising congregation in the front room of Cornelius. And every eye was fixed on him, on Peter. 
And that's how it should be, isn't it? That is how it should be. Why did you send for me? Well, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything he has given you to tell us. The preacher's question and the congregation's answer leads uh, finally to the glorious message. A couple of days before this, Peter would not have believed it was possible that he would find himself in such a congregation meeting in such a place. It's all made up of Gentiles. It's in a Gentile home. And Peter, although he's a converted man, still thought in Jewish ways. He still had a degree of the mindset of the Jew, and it's very, very hard to break free of the former religious practices and laws. He'd grown up believing that to enter a Gentile house and accept Gentile hospitality would make him ceremonially unclean. But God has prepared him for that day. He has spoken to him and shown him that no one is beyond the reach of his grace or excluded from his grace. Peter had learned something powerful. Verse 28, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. There is no one whom I can say that they, because of their background, because of their circumstances, because of their colour, because of their accent, are beyond the reach of his grace. There's no one I can say that about. In the story of Cornelius, we have the gospel breaking through one of the great barriers through which it had to break into the Gentile world. So Peter, the converted Jew, is addressing a congregation made up of Gentiles. God does not show partiality along ethnic lines. The glorious message is for every nation and all kinds of people, regardless of what their language is, their background is, their colour is, their accent is, their culture is. Racism is entirely unbiblical and a shameful thing. Verse 34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Um, Newton ours is not a particularly vast conurbation, but interestingly, there, there are different nationalities now arriving there. And even within our own congregation, we've seen the evidence of that. Over the last couple of years, for example, we've, we've certainly with two families who are of Romanian-Hungarian background, we have one man who comes occasionally to the evening service who is Indian. Uh, we have one man who's recently started coming in the morning who is Pakistani. And we had a lady who came regularly uh, for several years who is from the Philippines. And that's just within our own little town. And the nature of the church is to be like that. Peter is saying there are no cultural, racial barriers in the kingdom of God. So what is the glorious message that is for all the world? Well, we haven't really time to expand the whole of this part, 
But what a wonderful message it is. Peter says very simply, the message that God has given me for you is a message about his son. It is the message of Jesus that I have come to bring you. He is Lord of all. And I have come to tell you about him. He is the anointed Saviour. Verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Anointing, the word for anointing is, is the word Messiah or Christ. Peter says, I've come to preach to you about the anointed Saviour. He is powerful and he is compassionate. He is anointed with power and he went about doing good. I've come to tell you of an anointed Saviour. And I've come to tell you of a crucified Saviour. Verse 39. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. I've come to tell you of a crucified Saviour who died the most shameful death. It is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And bearing that curse, Jesus is taking the curse that belonged to us. His death delivers all who believe in him from the awful curse of God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I've come to tell you of an anointed Saviour. And I've come to tell you of a crucified Saviour. And I've come to tell you of a risen Saviour. Verse 40. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And Peter could speak of the resurrection of Christ from the vantage point of an eyewitness. He is one of those chosen by God for this very purpose. Jesus truly rose from the dead. I saw him and ate with him and drank with him after his resurrection. I have come to tell you of a risen Saviour whose work is finished and complete and who is able to save all who come to him no matter what their background. I've come to tell you of an anointed Saviour, a crucified and risen Saviour. And I've come to tell you of a returning Saviour. Verse 42. He commanded us to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. One day he will return and he will come as judge and all men will stand before him. Here's a congregation then waiting reverently before God hearing the glorious message about his son anointed crucified, risen and returning. And they hear the promise that everyone needs to hear. Verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The congregation and its minister. Why have you asked me to come? What are you expecting? How am I to serve you? And they say, 
we're meeting in God's presence. We're serious. And we want to hear everything God has given you to tell us. Peter says, well then, here's the message. It's about Jesus. Anointed, crucified, risen and returning. We only know the name of one of the people in that congregation. Cornelius. You can't help liking him. He's such a likable man. See, we read about him at the very beginning. He's kind. He's respectful. He's generous. He's prayerful. He's just a lovely man. He's a lovely, lovely man. He's like a lot of men in churches around the country. He's really good. But he's not good enough. And that's why Peter has come to preach in his house. He's a really good man, but he's not good enough. Most people do not actually understand how good you need to be to get to heaven. Most people think, if I'm pretty decent, don't do anybody any harm, live a fairly respectable life, do my best, surely I will get to heaven. They don't understand how good you need to be. You need to be as good as Jesus is. What the Bible calls righteous. But none of us are righteous. And none of us can make ourselves righteous. Because the Bible also says says there is no one righteous. No, not one. But Peter's message is saying, there is a righteous Savior. And when you trust in him, his righteousness becomes yours. And then... You have eternal life. He is the righteous Savior. Peter has said he went about doing good. Everything he did was good. Everything he did was good. Perfect and in accordance with God's will. And the very moment you trust in him, the very moment you become as righteous as he. And that is the glorious message. It's a glorious message of a Saviour by whose death we are pardoned and by whose life we are made righteous. What a great day in Caesarea, in the front room of Cornelius. How do you want me to serve you? said the preacher. And they said, Tell us what God has given you to say. And he says, well, here is the message. And he shows them the Savior. And that's how it is to be with the the congregation and and the minister week after week. And the blessing of heaven rests on such a gathering. Amen. (coughs) Thank <coughs> you.